I'm Alex Jones. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center on the Press, Politics, and Public Policy. It's my pleasure to have as our brown bag speaker today Steve Levy, who is, I gather from the audience, uh, very well known to you all. Uh, he is a person who has devoted much of his career to following the evolution and revolution in digital technology. He has written extensively about it, eight books, I think, now. Only seven. Only seven. Well, you're working on it, no doubt. Um, the most recent on Google, and he is going to be talking about Google, but his breadth of knowledge about, about this, uh, this revolution evolution uh, spans really from the very beginnings of, of, uh, of it, and um, has, um, has, he's been over time, one of the people at Wired Magazine and other places who has spoken with both authority and insight. So, Steve, welcome. Glad Thank to you, Alex. And, uh, you know, just delighted to be at Shorenstein Center uh, uh, and sharing with, with all of you and really look forward to your questions here. So, uh, Arthur C. Clarke once said that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And I'll bet some of you have heard that statement. It's pretty well known. And I, as Alex said, I'm a technology writer. So I get calls all the time from people who have heard that statement and say, hey, we have a product we want you to write about. It's just like Arthur C. Clarke said. It's magic. And almost all the time, it's not magic. It's, you know, some, you know, iteration of something else or an idea or something that just doesn't work. Uh, but the first time... I saw Google search. It was magic. Do you all remember the first time you did a Google search there? I mean, when I did it, it was uh, 1998, and someone told me about it. Or I, I know I didn't get it from a tweet uh, <laughs> uh, because there was no Twitter then. Uh, and bang, this thing went through millions of web pages, hundreds of millions maybe, and found exactly what I wanted. And there have been other search engines before, but nothing like that. So I was pretty impressed. And over the next few months, got even more impressed as it caught on and, you know, and did all my searches and, and changed the way I, I researched. So I figured i got to know who does this. How does this work? So I called up uh, their communications person and arranged to go visit these folks. And it was um, actually, it was 1999 by then. It was around this time of year. And I know that pretty specifically because when I went to the Googleplex in October 1999, everyone was in costume. The whole place was dressed for Halloween. And one of the co-founders, Larry Page, was dressed like a Viking. He had a big furry vest and a hat with giant horns coming out of it. And the other co-founder, Sergey Brin, had a full-body cow suit with this big plastic disgusting udders coming out of his chest. And the Viking and the cow took me into a conference room and explained to me how PageRank worked, how, how the search engine worked there. So over the next few years, I was working for Newsweek then. I covered the, the hell out of Google. I wrote about it a lot, and cover stories, and just was fascinated to see how it grew and, and, and the stuff it did. And I, I thought, well... It'd be great to write a book about that, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. Around the time they went public, a uh, really successful uh, IPO, though a little controversial because they did it through an auction. Uh, when they did that in 2004, there had been a book or two, and I wanted to do something different. I couldn't figure out how to get a handle on it, how to, how to, how to write about Google, until 2007, 
when I was invited to go on a trip with some young managers of Google. They had a, a, a program that they hired people straight out of school to be product managers because the product managers they'd gotten before from Microsoft or HP had been spoiled for Google. They, you, know, you, know, you work for Microsoft, you have this taint to you. And you couldn't understand how Google worked. You couldn't you know, bow down to the engineers properly. And, you know, uh, so they got these kids out of school. The first one in this program, uh, they pulled straight out of Stanford and said, uh, your job is to launch this product called Gmail. Uh, and you know, he, he went and did it. And, and halfway through this two-year program, uh, they take these young people uh, on a, an international trip to Google offices, engineering offices around the world, uh, and they learn markets. And they invited me to go on this trip. And we went uh, from San Francisco to uh, Tokyo, to Beijing, to Bangalore, to Tel Aviv. And I spent two weeks uh, with, with, with these people. So it's sort of like immersed in the Google bubble, which was great because normally they're a little secret out there. Um, but... Uh, and opened my eyes to the way the company really works with the DNA of the Internet. And I thought, this is great. It's a dimension of Google that I hadn't seen before, I hadn't seen written about, and certainly hadn't been exposed to. So what if I wrote a whole book trying to get that inside access there? So I asked, and to my amazement, they said, yes, uh, you could do that. So I spent about a two-year, two-and-a-half-year immersion into Google I uh, began the research around uh, June 2008 of that. It was a really interesting time to <laughs> be exposed to Google because Google was changing uh, not only internally but in the public eye from a company that everyone loved, it was a, you know, a, a great company with a lot of startup energy still there, to a company that people didn't trust as much anymore. And Google itself was going through these kinds of growing pains. So... As I you know, was you know, uh, talking to the people there, and I could talk to anyone in there. The ground rules were I could talk to anyone. They let me in a lot of uh, meetings that journalists normally couldn't go to. I was given uh, access to some products that were in development. The only thing I couldn't do was write about a product that wasn't out by the time my book came out. That you know, I agreed that it wasn't fair for me to be the... Uh, vehicle to announce a, a Google product when Google didn't want to do that uh, when they let me in there. So, And actually for one product that did matter because I was into the Google Plus um, uh, development process and it what, what was, wasn't out by the time my book came out. But, you know, uh, uh, so I, I got this you know, deep look uh, in, 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 into Google which was, you know, enabled me to write this book uh, in the Plex which came out a little over a year ago there. So what, what did I learn from Google there? Well, one thing was how its products really reflect on its character and reflect really on the Internet itself and the way Google's exploited that. And that starts with search, that magical thing that I mentioned up top there. So when the Viking and the Cal talked to me about it, they pointed out to me the aspect which really captured the imagination of a lot of people uh, who wrote about Google in the early years was that search was almost like a, a democracy of, of choice there. That what they did is they drew on the links in the World Wide Web to get the most relevant results there. Uh, so they really let a, a form of crowdsourcing you know, be their guide to what was the most relevant. But as the years went on, that technique, which is called PageRank, uh, not named after the pages in the World Wide Web, but named after Larry Page, 
uh, one of Google's co-founders, uh, became you know, a little less prominent in the algorithm. It's still there. Uh, but Google increasingly became uh, a, an AI learning machine. The search engine became a learning machine. Uh, almost like a science fiction film where you have some sort of brain in a bottle and you kind of expose the world to it and it learns about the world there. That's the way Google's search engine works. Um, and, you know, it, if you, you hear a lot about big data, well, the big data that, that Google crunches in the search engine is your behavior. You know, Google takes note of everything you do, all the millions and hundreds of millions of people there, and, you know, by their response to the stuff that they encounter in search, uh, it refines and learns uh, what people want and, and what to give them next there. And, uh, you know, that's why Google is so uh, possessive about its user logs. People say, well, gee, why doesn't Google just clean all the logs every day? Uh, you know, because we're worried about our privacy. What we search is very, very personal to us. And the reason is uh, that Google needs that to keep learning, to keep you know, ahead of its competitors uh, in, in search there. The other thing, big product there, um, you know, Alex and I were talking about this beforehand, is their ad system. Now, this system called AdWords is the most successful Internet product ever. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the most successful product of, of any kind, maybe, uh, in this century there. And that's that system of, of search ads. How many of you click on search ads, by the way? I'm just curious there. I get a, one hand. I'll, but I bet there's more. I, you know, because Google, Google in, in their earnings, their disappointing in earn, earnings they announced uh, earlier this week, uh, reported $14 billion of revenue this quarter. Is that right? Yeah. Susan's my, you know, <laughs> she's my Google search engine here. Um, you know, so that's like a run rate of over like $40 billion a year, and almost all of that comes from ads, and almost all their ad money comes from people actually clicking on the ads, not like in a TV ad where it reaches your eyeballs and the advertiser doesn't know. That's all measured and, and, and it's clicking on. And the reason why that ad system called AdWords is so successful, and the reason why two founders who profess to hate advertising uh, helped nurture that, that, that system is that it really is a system which benefits not only Google and not only the advertisers, but the users. That's like built in algorithmically that better ads are sold for less money. And, you know, we can get into that in more detail, or you can read my book. Um, or even go to Google, which explains it you know, in, in, in nice videos there. But you know, believe, believe me, it is a, a virtuous circle there that, you know, that, that those ads really help you. And they really wanted to, to make the ads as useful as search results. And I don't know about that, but they are, they are useful. And quite often, an ad will be just as good a choice as anything else in the search results. And that's why people click on it. And that's why advertisers pay sometimes up to $50 for you to just click on, on, on one of their ads there. And Google rakes it in. Now, as, and we could talk about this in the Q&A, but as Google evolves, it, it, ad system gets a little less clean and you know it has a more you know extra products in there and you know, you know they, now they're bringing in local and other things and that's some of the things that are getting them into hot water now and uh, we could talk about that so I'm expecting all you folks to ask me a lot about privacy and antitrust and other things that <clears throat> I'm not going to get into in my little uh, remarks up here the third thing I learned about was how Google tries to negotiate its growth and success, and basically keep it sold. Now, Google has this motto, which you all know, which is? 
don't be evil. You're mumbling it, not shouting it, but I, I think I got it. You know, yeah, you know, don't be evil, right? And that, you know, I, I track where that first came from. And, um, and it actually is sort of a useful metric of, you know, to be applied when Google's thinking of doing things. And at first, people would actually say this in, in uh, meetings where they'd say, well, why don't we do X, Y, or Z? And someone said, well, wouldn't that be uh, evil? And quite often that's a synonym for, wouldn't Microsoft do that? Um, and people would say, no, 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 you're right. You know, evil, we're not doing it. Um, and then as Google got bigger, things got fuzzier there. People stopped saying, isn't that evil? And, and maybe... You know, they, some people claim at Google that it's still in the back of their heads when, when these things come up there. Um, but it comes to the test a lot of times. And one thing I get into uh, in detail in the book is Google's experience in China, where they had to do something which seemed pretty evil, really, which was to censor their search results there. And some people at the company found it totally impalatable that they would do this. Sergey Brin, in particular, uh, his family emigrated from Russia to escape oppression. And here Google was considering, and they actually did, uh, something which seemed totally antithetical to their <coughs> values there. Their, every fiber of their being is to deliver you the best search results. And here they were censoring sometimes the best results you can get uh, to serve an oppressive political government there. You know, uh, but they sort of did a, 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 almost like an evil spreadsheet. And they, like, weighed it out, like, you know, that, that, well, yeah, the censorship thing, that's, like, a pretty big negative. It's a big, big red number there. But if you do the whole spreadsheet, we're doing good stuff, too. We're getting more information in China, and maybe we're, um, we're going to tell people uh, when they don't get full, research, full search results, and maybe the people in China would push back against the government there. So maybe we'll do more good than evil, and when we crunch the whole spreadsheet and get a positive number. That's what they told themselves. Uh, but it, it didn't work for a, a, a lot of reasons, and Google pulled out of censorship in, in, in China. They didn't pull out of China entirely, but uh, they had to move their search engine when they stopped censoring there. And it's interesting. Every Googler can tell you where he or she was that day when Google announced it was not going to censor. It was like a, a moment of getting their mojo back. Another complicated thing, the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll talk about before I throw, throw it open here, is um, you know, uh, Google's book search there. And to me, that, that's another interesting example, the, the tensions that, that, that Google has. So Google decides uh, in one of its things they call a moonshot, a really ambitious thing. And Larry Page, this, who's now the CEO of Google, um, after Eric Schmidt uh, ran it for 10 years, he really believes in big, ambitious projects there. Uh, he believes that technology makes it possible to do what most people would consider impossible or would have considered impossible just a few years ago. And you're really shirking your responsibility as a technology company if you don't take these big risks, these moonshots there. So he, he thought, well, you know, it's actually feasible to scan all the books in the world and put them in the search engine so you could, just like you could look through the web, you could you know, like dive through the covers of the of the, of the Harvard Library, which is a Google partner, and the Michigan Library, the New York Public Library, and basically Google wanted to scan every book ever printed and, and put it in the search engine. Well, they thought this is great. Who could object to that? Well, there were some objectors. There were the publishers and the authors that, that objected to it, uh, and. It, it's kind of interesting when you dive into it. On one hand, you know, I know the authors felt that, uh, the Authors Guild felt that Google was like stealing from them. <coughs> they, they said, here's those guys in Silicon Valley. I talked to the head of the Authors Guild on this, of which I'm a member. 
And he said, you know, these millionaires, billionaires in Silicon Valley, they're stealing from you there. You know. um, and actually, I, I wasn't that offended by Google Book Search. As an author, uh, they weren't selling my whole book. And actually, they were pointing to where you could buy my book. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as a, a researcher doing books, I like the idea that you can kind of die through the covers of books. You know, I used to be a graduate student myself, and I would spend, you know, uh, time the dusty confines of uh, the basement of the Patti Library in um, University Park, Pennsylvania, and you know it, it was hard going through all these books, and really nice to be able to define what you wanted in, in, in any one of them. The prospect really uh, appealed to me there, but you know when Google tried to settle the lawsuit, uh, as it sometimes does, it overstepped itself and you know had an, an, an arrangement which had privacy issues and you know made itself. Uh, you know, sort of a monopolistic owner of orphan books. We can get into this list later there. You know, and again, got it into hot water there. But what's fascinating to me was the people at Google, the people who put this in motion, they couldn't get why people were so upset with them in doing this. You know, they sort of like run ahead and they see promise, but they're not that great about seeing the effects of, of disruption there. And again, that, that gets some of the hot water there. So I think back a lot to that day in near Halloween in 1999 when I visited uh, Google there. This was a company of less than 100 people then. You know, it was all promised. They were going to take over the world. And in fact, they're one of the most powerful companies in the world now. But now they've got like 50,000 people. You know, they almost doubled their size when they took over Motorola Mobility uh, this year there. And, you know, there's no black and white. And don't be evil is harder and harder to measure there. So I, I still find it the most interesting company in, in Silicon Valley. There's a lot, plenty of other really interesting ones. Uh, and especially so since what they do affects us so much, that Google's part of our everyday life. Uh, certainly in search for a lot of us, for our mail, uh, maybe, maybe documents and, you know, and, you know, YouTube and, you know, uh, so, so many other things there. So it's been fascinating to cover it. And uh, I loved writing a book about it and loved still going. This year I got to do something that I, they wouldn't let me do when I was doing the book, which was actually go inside one of their data centers which was, you know, kind of a great experience, and it just came online in, 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 in Wired this week. So thanks for listening, and I look, really look forward to your questions. Let me, uh, <clears throat> let me start with a couple. One, this is a sort of a, a step back from your comments about, about do no evil. <clears throat> when you look at the technological world, the world not just of Google, but the broad, in the broadest sense, do you think morality is something, I know that legality is an issue, or even ethics may be an issue, but morality, is that something that plays a part in the decision making? It sounds as though that was a conscious part of what Google set out to be, a moral company. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is either become so far from gazillionaire thinking or or is, have, have tech, has technology sort of overtaken what a sense of morality might be? I actually do think that that's part of the equation there. I think um, if you talk to people 
uh, Google, and other companies. Even, you know, the company, you know, a lot of people think Facebook is evil there. But I think that they, from in their own heads, they think they're executing on, on moral grounds. What's fascinating to me is, and it's sort of, you know, like the ring and, you know, Lord of the Rings there. You know, you, you, you put it on and it sort of changes your worldview. Mm-hmm. And what other people think is moral doesn't really coincide with you inside your bubble think is moral. At a certain point, you know, you know, well, well, we're a good company. We're a moral company. And, you know, uh, you see this in, in government sometimes. So what we do has got to be good, right? So, you know, it, so you could take something which seems, you know, borderline evil, and they would think, no, no, it's not evil because we're doing it in, in, in the right way there. So I actually do think that they still think that way, but their view might be uh, skewed a little. There's a number of things that they've done uh, in the past few years that certainly have been over the line. They've you know, uh, uh, illegally grabbed information from Wi-Fi, you know, um, you know, in, in, the, in the way they uh, take, take the, the organization. Well, well the, the street view is a, a, a little, little different, but I'm just saying the time they sucked up information about people's private Wi-Fi things there, and they they said, well, it's a rogue engineer there, but they never came clean on it, really. And then, and in the book, um, I come across uh, a, a case where they, you know, technically violated U.S. Uh, laws, you know, the bribery, uh, when their Chinese government relations person gave iPods as Christmas presents to the Chinese government officials there. And they reported it to the government. They never reported it to the public. And I came across it, and, you know, they, they admitted it. But there was never any apology. You know, there was never any coming clean on, on this. Um, there was a huge settlement. Uh, the Google um, was selling, didn't stop the sale of illegal drugs, you know, prescription drugs from overseas, you know, not... Uh, you know, heroin or marijuana, but uh, and you know they they paid a huge settlement with the government. And again, they they never really came clean on them. They would always point to the fact that oh well, this this settlement's confidential, right? But they they were the ones who insisted it's confidential. Um, and so I I think that uh, sometimes <coughs> when you you know get some Googlers aside, they'll admit they don't always live up to their own standards. But I think they still think they have the standards. One of the things that Google did in the last year <coughs> was effectively take legislation that was headed for passage, stop it cold, and turn it around. Uh, uh, which legislation are you talking this about? This was the, you know, the... SOPA. Yeah. Oh, SOPA, right, okay. Uh, I don't mean they did it alone, but they yeah. led it. And, and they, they, they did not issue the threat of going dark, but they suggested and demonstrated by putting their thing on their website that if that that was something that could be contemplated when you think about now google's power gmail if google ever took a notion to hold the federal government hostage on legislation <laughs> again it has the leverage to bring the american economy to a screeching halt if it should choose that's a staggering private power how do you see that? Is as I mean, is Google becoming too big to have that much power? Right. Well, that's the kind of thing you, you can't do too often. There, you know. Um, I think you know if, if they wanted to do you know uh, 
something. They wanted to weigh in on all sorts of issues, right? You know, like uh, you know, even something like right to choose, which is pretty con- controversial. Uh, I, a lot of their users, you know, are you know on both sides, you know, of, of, of that argument. You know, and uh, I think uh, they always claim, well, that our competition is one click away, right? And if they alienate enough people, they would lose some of their customers there. And I think, you know, the, the, the SOPA thing was something which was, in, in part, a, a survival thing. It wasn't just, you know, this is good for the world to get rid of SOPA. It's that it affects their business there. So it's kind of interesting the way what, what they, they didn't go dark, but they did put on their home page, right, um, you know, a, a, a political message there, which, you know, is going pretty far. They, you know, uh, they don't do that too often. Uh, to promote something on their home page. A couple times they've done it to promote their own products, Androids, uh, phones, or, you know, uh, things like that. But um, I think there was, a, I know there was a lot of discussion before before that. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I think they, they couldn't be like a routine voice of today, what's the Google's message today? Or, you know, how many times do you threaten that? I mean, if they pull the plug on themselves, that's terrible. Uh, a few years ago, uh, let me look at Two or three years ago, uh, Google went down. It was very rare, you know, for a few hours there. And they, thereafter, uh, they were able to point that during those couple hours, you know, the, the traffic from Google to Yahoo just moved over. So Yahoo's search traffic just shot right up there. And I actually do suspect a little. Part of me thinks that Google might have done that on purpose, just to have that statistic there, just to prove that, see, if we go away, people just go somewhere else. So we're not as powerful as you say. We're not, we don't have the power to hold people hostage because we are just one click away from some, some, some from our competitors are just one click away. We're giving priority to students. Uh, yes. So why does Google suck at social networking? Uh, is it a cultural thing? Um, Google has introduced a lot of products over the years, and um, most of them have been wildly successful in their space. Uh, a few of the most publicized flops are like Google Buzz, Google Wave, um, Orkut to some degree, in India and Brazil notwithstanding, and India is sort of moving to Facebook now. Um, is there something cultural about the company that they are very good at data, they're not as good at people, or is it just that they, you know, haven't found the secret sauce yet? Right, right, yeah. Well, that, that DNA argument, that, you know, that social isn't in Google's DNA, it makes people insane at Google. I have a pretty good relationship with one of the heads of Google Plus there, and, you know, and that... If you want to make them hit the ceiling, you know, you just say, well, the, it's not in Google's DNA. Working, it was really interesting there. Because uh, I, you know, I, I spend the, the last chapter talking a little bit about Google's failures in social uh, to date there. Uh, and, you know, they really could have had it, right? You know, Workit was, you know, a, a, a pretty good product. Um, but at the time, and it's still to, to a certain extent for some Google products, but not, not the, some of the social ones they're doing now. Uh, Google sort of let products rise and fall on their own. They didn't, you know, like back it up. So Workit um, uh, needed certain resources to 
handle the demand when it first came out. So, by the way, are you all familiar with Orkut? You know, a, so this was like a social network that came out in like 2004 or something, early 2004, just about the time Facebook did, actually. Um, and it was more, way more popular initially than, than Facebook was at, at the time. You know, I remember when it came out there, it was like this huge wave. Look over, everyone was signing up for Orkut there. And, you, know, can, you know, friending people in Orkut, it worked a lot like Facebook did. But um, one thing they had to do was it was like built on, you know, uh, a, a, a Microsoft platform there. The, the, the engineer did it, uh, you know, built that on, you know, the, the, the Microsoft platform. So they had to move it to Linux and, and move it to the, to the way the other Google things work. So that took some engineers there, and that was all they wanted to put into it there. They said it was an opportunity cost to actually really support it, to handle the thing. Marissa Mayer. Uh, Meyer was, was, was telling me all this about why they didn't put it into working. She was not apologizing for it uh, at the time. Though in retrospect, considering how big social turned out to be, it might have been worth hiring more people there. Um, even at the time, it would have taken like 10% of Google's engineers to, uh, to do that there. And, you know, and there, there's various reasons why this other stuff didn't work out. Um, but Google feels now that it has a viable strategy there. Now, Google Plus does not have the, uh, you know, uh, the user base that Facebook has, clearly. But uh, they don't look at the Google Plus, what happens when you go to Google Plus, as like a product which is head-to-head -head with Facebook. They look on the entirety of Google as, some, as now a social platform. And Google Plus is just the part where you do that kind of social stuff, and they're nowhere near finishing refining that. Um, in part because they're a little timid now about taking on some of the privacy issues. Um, and, you know, uh, right now there's interoperability issues and they're fighting Twitter and as, as, as well as Facebook there. But they're, you know, deeply, deeply committed now to making all of Google more social. Um, and the challenge now is not just winning users' hearts and minds, but it gets into regulatory issues and, and other stuff there. So it, it makes it harder. Students, yes. So just actually following up on this, one question that I've asked before, and it's kind of, sorry, I'm Neiman Fellow, Catramano from the Herald Tribune, the New York Times. So um, it seems to me that maybe we're at a point where people are worried about privacy, but at the same time they see the use of the, the tailored advertising and, and all the various services that you get out of free Gmail, et cetera. Wouldn't this be a good moment for someone like Google to say, We'll share the profit that we get off your personal data um, in some shape or form. In other words, you know, I have control. You give back the control. It's kind of very much a don't do evil thing. Back to the user and say, you know, we're making money off your data. Yes, you're also getting a service, but maybe there's a small percentage or a fraction of what we're making that we can give back to you. Wouldn't that just siphon off everybody of Facebook and make send them to Google Plus? I mean, is that a, a model that people are looking into? Like I've I, I heard the model of saying, you know, we'll kick you back money there. I, I don't know how much money would be involved in that, and I don't, I don't know really how attractive it would be to say, okay, here's X amount of money, we're buying your privacy there. Right. I mean, you know, people actually do sign away their privacy for like a dollar off a Whopper or something like that. You know, that, that happens all the time or, you know, to get a discount on something. I say I, I, I like Coca-Cola on, on Facebook there, you know, and, you know, everyone knows, you know, I like Coca-Cola or, you know, go to Walmart or do whatever is thing. I, I'm amazed, always amazed when I see my friends, 
you know, saying, you know, I like Budweiser, right? You know, um, really, you know, that, thanks. Um, but uh, I think that what Google really wants to do is make those services valuable enough to you that you'll say that trade-off is okay, right? And Google, I think, is more transparent than a lot of other places in what you are signing away. It's kind of interesting. And so Google, uh, a few months ago, was it a year ago, uh, changed this privacy policy. It used to be that they had different privacy policies for different products, for Gmail, for Docs, for Search, you know, um, uh, and they wanted to merge them all together so they could use the information from different products to be more useful to you, right? So if, you know, uh, they knew from your locations and, and from your interests that you were a vegetarian when you did a search for restaurants, they wouldn't show you steakhouses, right? So you would think, you know, like, that would be useful. But, you know, people went insane about that. And in part because Google actually was so public about it. So a couple of weeks ago, Microsoft did essentially the same thing. And it got almost no pickup. Actually, in the last couple of days, it's getting a little more pickup. But um, yeah, so I think that the, the, the challenge is to be transparent and prove that, it, that it's worth it there. And also prove that um, one thing Google's not done a good job at is proving you that when sometimes uh, they'll use that information, but it doesn't get exposed to anyone else. A lot of people think that uh, when you know, the Google using information means exposing information to third parties there, right? And you know, when really it's basically you know, information that Google won't give out to anyone and won't share with people and actually will fight a subpoena um, if they think the subpoena isn't fair uh, when, when, it, when it comes, and just using it really to be a, a benefit to you. Google has not done a good job of letting you know exactly how that works. I'd, um, I'd like to know your thoughts. Um, in 2010, there was a significant attack on Google from China, and they partnered with uh, the National Security Agency. I'd like to know your thoughts on that. And then <coughs> the second question kind of relates to that. Do you think Google and other um, ISPs like them have a role in national cybersecurity? Okay. Um, so when Google got compromised in 2009, and, you know, and, and, um, you know the... the you know, sometimes when something happens at Google, they declare a room like this into a war room. And, you know, the people who used to work, you know, at the cubicles outside, you know, a little closer to the snack bars, uh, you know, will take their computers into a room and, you know, uh, and stay in the room until the problem is fixed. When that uh, incursion came, Google had a war building. Uh, you, know, the, you know, there was, like, Dozens, probably triple figures of, of people in there um, working various aspects of finding out, trying to find out what happened, um, how to communicate this, how to deal with, 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 with other folks there, um, you know, what their corporate response would be there. And you're right that they invited, you know, partnered on is a strange word, but they, you know, the, the NSA was involved in the forensics and trying to figure out what, what, what happened there. Um, I really don't know how deep that relationship went. You know, clearly they relied on some of the expertise there, but I don't think they were handing over all your files to the NSA. 
Um, I think that you could see, I, I could see a justification trying to find out what happened. It was a national security issue, and there were other companies involved, uh, very few of which would own up to it. You know, and, and uh, a lot of people in the cybersecurity you know area you know, congratulated Google for being upfront about it. You know, where other places you know would just take the take the hit and you know and not admit that they had been compromised there. Um, and as a matter of fact, Sergey Brin wanted to out the other companies because in, in looking into this, Google found uh, out the other companies there, and it was told that he can get sued if they, if, if he did that. So Sergey uh, held his peace there, but. Um, I do think Google does it's part look it, it's it's a company which you know that has a lot of our information there it's a company with a lot of expertise and I think the companies like that are should be part of you know a, a, a cybersecurity you know uh, defenses but again you have to be careful just for the same reason I, I, I suspect you know that you have had at best mixed feelings about hearing the NSA was working with, with Google there. Uh, you have to draw a line somewhere. You can't be do, working uh, as part of the government there because you have your main respons responsibility is to your users. Is most of the hiring Google of NSA people or NSA of Google people? Uh, interesting. I, I think it's pretty tough for the NSA to recruit from Google there. Um, you know, the food isn't as good. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I have a question. Obama talked about um, drones on Google Plus, one of the only times he's talked about it. And I'm wondering what his relationship is with Google and also what the relationship Bush had with them and what Romney might have. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I actually get into the you know the, the Google Obama love affair uh, in 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 the in the book there. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, similarities. There's, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, resonances. Like, you know, like Obama's sort of like Google, and he's very data driven, and he's, you know, thinks that problems can be solved by, you know, just like using the data and applying them. When he was describing healthcare, when he visited Google, uh, when he was a candidate, um, you know, it, of course. It, it, healthcare will be embraced widely because we have the data to prove it and, and, and it's great and why would any just the same reason Google thought that the, the book search wouldn't be a problem um, Obama thought the healthcare wouldn't be a problem there right? so, so, so they worked on that and there were a lot of not a lot there were a number of people from Google who did go to the Obama administration and they were appalled there were so few engineers in government there uh, you know they, 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 they felt that the government would do better to have more engineers um, uh, but uh, I don't think there wasn't a, you know, much between uh, Bush and, and 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 Google there. You know, um, uh, you know, Bush. You know, as presidents go, Bush was not the least technical. Um, you know, he knew how to work an iPod, uh, and but uh, it. You know, he, he doesn't operate on the same wavelength as Google there. Romney probably would work a little more. You know, uh, with, with with Google, there there would be in, in some aspects, you know, uh, a, a, a link there because you know again he's he's very uh, data driven there, um, and there was probably a lot of Googlers um, who wouldn't support him. But but you know, since the uh, election, the, the the previous election, there's oddly Google is getting a little more Republican there, uh, and there's been a number of people that they've hired. Uh, you know, one of their top uh, communications people worked for Obama. It was one of the key people in game change, right? 
And, you know, uh, I was talking to her recently there, and, and we talked about it. Not only does Google have some more actual Republicans, but as it gets bigger, it, it isn't so solidly uh, Democrat. Yes. I work for Celaria, I work for Thais in Spain, and an even fellow. And Great paper. Yeah? Great paper. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I have two questions about media. Uh, until what point does it matter to Google actions like the ones Brazilian papers taken this week, uh, pulling out from Google News? That's one question. And the other question is, do you believe that in the future they will share any any money with media and do they really care about good journalism? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's interesting that, you know, Google really actually does spend, you know, a lot of effort and thought to journalism, way beyond the monetary footprint of journalism there. You know, um, our, you know Eric Schmidt, Marissa, you know, they've all spent a lot of time trying, you know, to work on, on this problem there. The Google News is, is sort of interesting because every so often, I haven't heard about the, the Brazilian uh, decision there, every so often, you know, this or that, whether it's Murdoch or some other, you know, uh, media uh, institution will say, we're going to pull out of, of, of Google News there. And that really doesn't hurt Google. It, it hurts them because they get traffic from that there. Um, and, you know, I, I actually feel that in, 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 in this case, you know, it really, if Google is, is responsible, um, and it, I think it, it genuinely tries to be, about getting traffic out, getting people to go and check out the original there, um, it, it really is a, a plus for media institutions, <coughs> you know, much more so than some of these aggregators like the Huffington Post or things like that, um, which will take away the need to go search the original there. And one thing that Google, I think, does fail at, and I've talked a lot, you know, complained a lot to Google about this, um, is that in both uh, Google, Google News, and particularly in the search engine, uh, Google is not very good at identifying the original source of news. So if you look for an, a news item in the Google search engine, you know, a shocking amount of time, the first result, or and sometimes the first, second, and third result, will be a Huffington Post aggregation of a news article. And I, I, I complain to, you know, uh, Ahmed Single, who's head of Google Search now, how do you let that happen? That's you know, because technically they can't do it, or because they don't care? Well, I mean, they say they care, but I don't understand why they, they haven't uh, addressed this. I mean, it seems to me... They, with all the magic they've done, they could figure out which article came first, and you know, and, and be, be able to, you know, spend some algorithmic time uh, a, a addressing that. And you know, um, and so I, I've, actually, I've actually sent examples to them, saying, like, you know, wh why do you let Huffington Post push you around like that with their uh, search engine optimization there? And I, and I never gotten a good answer there. So I think if this is one case where Google has hurt journalism um, by not essentially getting traffic to the people who actually produce it. Yes, yes sir. I'm just curious as to where you think Google is in its life cycle. Do you think there's more, <laughs> more still to come, more good things, or do you think, or, and if you were to look at a technology company today, um, if you were to equate it to its life cycle, let's say Microsoft of the 90s, um, is there such a uh, comparison? 
Great, great question. Well, okay, so they, they say a lot, well, Google's entering adolescence now. It's 14 <laughs> years old, right? Um, so in one hand, you know, you could make the Microsoft comparison, right? Google still is in terms of revenues, a one-trick pony, really. But most of that money is coming in from advertising there. But it's not like they're not working on other stuff. And I think they're doing it in a way which might be more successful than Microsoft. I followed Microsoft pretty closely through its arc. And uh, they had a, a research lab. And they were always showing you stuff in research labs that they did. And 10 years later, you'd see the same stuff in the research labs. And, you know, some of the stuff is finally happening now, like in Siri, right? But it, it was in Microsoft's research lab. But uh, I think that I, I have to get excited about stuff like the self-driving car, right? Um, the Eventually, I think we're all going to be driven by these cars. You all know about Google's efforts to do this. And, and you know, it's really amazing to actually ride in one. Uh, you know, because intellectually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer in technology, right? I write about it a lot, and I, I like it. Um, and intellectually, I thought, yeah, that I could see that happening. You know, planes sort of fly that way, right? But it wasn't until I actually physically was in one of those things um, and it's, it's driving. It wasn't on the road. It was like on a, a, a giant uh, top floor of a giant parking garage. And they didn't, like, drive at, like, 20 miles an hour. They were going 40 miles an hour screeching towards the edge and then turning, you know, like a high velocity, like a, like a roller coaster ride. And, you know, the guy behind it saying, oh, yeah, this and that. And, and, and it was amazing. It really changed my, 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 my view of that. So I have to think that moonshots like that, Google will find stuff to do it. I think the location stuff and the map stuff is is really important. There, um, Everyone's trying to crack big revenues from mobile there, but Google's in as good a position as any other company to do that there. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how the fight with Apple uh, plays out there in terms of maps uh, in, in, in doing that. So I, I, I would say uh, I'm not 100% certain, but I think Google's got a shot at beating that Next generation, you know, uh, problem that Microsoft and others have run into. Yes. Um, Jean Ditch, uh, Siemens Fellow for Science and Technology. I'm so can't hear you. I said I'm Jean Ditch, uh, Siemens Fellow for Science and Technology. Right. Um, my question was in the same vein. Um, where do you see? You've already spoken about Sebastian's car, but where do you see the um, language going? The language processing, Internet of Things. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in a way, it's all, it's all the, 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 the same platform, language and, and cards. It's all the AI stuff in those, you know, no, the, the same, no. same, same process. <laughs> well, I, I think, no, I, I think, I, I, church, <laughs> well, no, but what I'm, what I'm saying is in terms of machine learning to, to you know, learn, learn, learn stuff there. I mean, obviously, not the same code. involved on the Right, absolutely, right. But, you know, but it's also, um, it learns, you know, part of the process in the, in the cars is, you know, before they even like, got it on there, like watch pretty carefully the way people drive for hundreds of thousands of miles to, you know, figure out uh, driving there. So the language stuff is, and that, I think you'll agree, it's the same process they used in, in the, the search to use big data. Okay, good, we're agreeing on that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, clearly, you're signing chips, and I'm not. So, um, but so you know, uh, it's a great story where uh, Google decided it wanted to be able to deliver pages 
from the web in any language. So they wanted to do translation better than anyone else. And for a while, you know, they were going after all the best people in the world they could find to do translation. You know, they hired this brilliant guy from uh, Germany to, to lead this team. Um, and, you know, uh, they, you know, have the, you know, made headway uh, by, you know, doing this, you know, uh, translation using things like uh, UN uh, translations of documents and, you know, uh, uh, in different languages and, and Harry Potter translations to, you know, th- come up with, with better and better translations. And then as people interact with it and that, that behavioral stuff, they come up with better. I don't know how far you go on that. I don't know how, how well... You you go the last mile of translation. I, I I forget what they call it, but they have they've started to develop the objects within Google, so that um, when you look for J.K. Rowling, you can find out things. It, it has adjectives associated with that, so you can find out things like what she looks like, and you can describe her in different ways and so forth. Which is sort of the first step on the nouns to the to the A. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at it now, and you can you can get a pretty much good sense of what the page is about there. But um, you know, you're not going to you know get you know do it do it as well as you know so a graduate that. student. Okay, that we're we're going to have yeah. to go on. But I think let me put let me put it this way: they're 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 ahead of everyone else in that by by using that same technique of of, of machine learning and big data user behavior. No, yeah. when I think of Google, I think of the universal computer in Ireland being this perfect day in which the computer made all of the uh, decisions about societal and political decisions in order to eliminate chaos and uncertainty. <laughs> now, if Google continues to improve its uh, artificial intelligence and, and accelerates the amount of information it's collecting, where do you think they'll be in, say, 10 years in order to anticipate human behavior like identifying future crimes, future terrorists, or national behavior about war? Well, that's a really interesting question. I mean, so right now, people use the, the Google search engine to predict stuff about the real world. So the, a great example would be the, you know, they did this flu, you know, uh, prediction thing, right? So they could, you know, sort of determine from where people searching on, you know, the, like my temperature is high and things like that, you know, where the flu outbreaks would be. And people now are using analysis of Google to try to uh, game the election, right? you know, and you know, there, there, there's all sorts of stuff that, and there's companies which you know use it, you know, to analyze it to, to see how their their products are doing or what stocks to invest in and, and other kinds of things there. So um, I think um, that gets more and more, uh, you know. As, as a business model and a, and a prediction model there, and you know, it, it, but you know, I Do guess. Do you need government if uh, Google is going to be making those kind of uh, decisions and predictions? Well, I, I I think that might be dangerous. You know, I mean, you know, uh, to to do that, I don't know. You know, again, how open will Google be on their APIs to let other people uh, do that? Right? You know, to, to, to date, they've been fairly open. Uh, to let that, that, that kind of re- research go, but you know, I think that Google might not want to be in the position where the government is, is using that about that. Google's got to be careful um, that because people are, are increasingly nervous about it, and you know, I mean, to predict, you know, uh, we've all heard about how you know uh, police departments use data to you know 
determine where to, 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 to send their patrol people and, and, and things like that. But I don't think Google wants to be in the position of, of uh, identifying you know, thought crimes. Does Google worry about antitrust? Yes. Oh, yeah, of course they do. I mean, you know. It, you know, so right now they're 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 knee deep in it. People are thinking, you know, the FTC has been looking into them really closely, and has some people. You know, I've seen reports that they're about to move uh, on Google. There, I think that one of two things is going to happen. I, it looks like they probably will move, and in, in, in Europe, the chances are even higher. So there's and and the items of contention really are things that have to do with with the ad system, whether Google. Gives you know uh, favorable treatment to people who are advertisers, uh, maybe not even in the classic AdWords, but in some of the other services they have, shopping services and things like that. And Google uses its popularity to promote these other things and give advertisers an advantage there. Um, I think that a reasonable thing to expect would be Google would settle and sort of mitigate the way it. Uh, run some of those products there. Um, I think the government has to be careful because actually in, in my assessment there, after covering the Microsoft trial, I'm not sure the government would win that suit. I think that Google has a pretty strong hand in saying that this is a suit filed by our competitors you know, or, or urged on by our competitors, which in fact it is, um, that, you know, and the consumers aren't suffering harm. We give things away free, so we're not price gouging there. Um, and I think that Google has a pretty good shot of fighting that off. Um, so uh, it brings a strong hand into the inevitable negotiations that will come when that suit comes around. Yes. Uh, so my name is Christina. I'm a student at McKinney School. Um, my question is whether Google is studying how it's changing us. Uh, you know, I'm not too young, not too old, but I don't remember the first time I did a Google search. Uh, and you didn't do it in vitro, right? <laughs> so, and as you know, kids grow up on this. This is a different way of thinking. It's changing how we store information. Like, do we actually store it here, or do we store it online? And whether Google is actually looking at um, how it's changing the way people think. Right. So, you know, at that another great question. Did, so, you know, there's been this, like, meme of does Google make you stupid, right? <laughs> so the idea is that because it's there all the time, and I don't have to look up, you know, when Civil War battles were, were you know, or any of the, the facts that I might put in my stories, things like that, um, I'm not going to know them. And that's actually going to decrease my understanding of a larger issue there. Mm-hmm. And it's a serious issue. I can tell you that the people at Google feel that having this information available to you on an instant level is a positive. They, you know, by, they, they, they haven't published on this, but by and large, they feel that they want to make that more so. And they really do believe, from the conversations I've had with Larry and Sergey early on, you know, the model they love <coughs> is the idea that it's somehow in your brain, right? You know, there's the implant, right? They don't talk about the implant anymore, but... Uh, you know, the, with the, the, this thing they're doing called Google Glass, which basically gives you results in your glasses, or you're actually the, the guy they hired to do it um, has a system where it works on a contact lens. Um, the, you know, you get your, your results right away. Another thing they like is a thing called zero query search, which means they'll give you the answer to your search query before you think of the search query. 
but it's something you were going to search for, right? Which they could determine by analyzing all the information about you there, right? So, you know, they'd know before you do, you know, that you want to go on a vacation to Mexico there. And, you know, and by showing the, the, the shimmering, you know, waves coming into Acapulco there, you could say, wow, I was... I was, just, I was just going to think of that. And, and, and here's a discount. Uh, so That's truly creepy. <laughs> the, the word creepy makes them insane, too, let me tell you. Um, but I, I think that's what they believe is good for people, right? And so I think that they you – know, I actually never seen them comment directly on the, the Nick Carr uh, critique, you know, of, of Google making you stupid. But, um, you know, or the – yeah, the, the the complaints that people have that you know this is built into the homework thing, but I think that they generally feel that, um, and I have made see make general comments like that, that you know we free you from the details and allow you to get into the essay questions. Well, what about if you're searching for something like British Petroleum, and everybody has a different algorithm individually on Google News, and okay. you get and you get a different result. So there's the filter bubble yes, issue, exactly. right? Yeah. So the idea is that because Google tailors start to tailor your search result for you, you wouldn't see what, you know, what I see or, you know, or what you see. Um, you know, so um, Google actually did a thing uh, when they did, you know, what I felt, felt was a, you know, not a very nice thing to their search engine where they built in uh, social stuff and it was heavily weighted to Google Plus because Facebook wouldn't play with them. But they actually gave you a little toggle switch you could change it from personal to global there. And actually, that was a pretty good solution there. Because it used to be when you did a Google search and you're sitting there and you're on the phone with a friend who's, you know, even on another continent, you would do it saying, I'm searching for, you know, um, you know, Shorenstein, you know, uh, center. And, and the other person would say, okay, I am too. And you see exact same things. You know that. And that's not that way anymore. But I like the idea that you could toggle it. And get out. You know, there, you, there's another way you can actually, if you know which stuff to get rid of on the gibberish that comes up in your address bar. Uh, if we still have address bars, you can get rid of that. But I like the idea of solving that filter bubble issue straight are they, up. Are back. they interested in solving that bubble issue? I I think that they feel that people they feel people vote with their clicks. So they feel that if people aren't happy with those personalized search results. And happiness means you're, you know, you're, you're clicking on something, you're not returning and doing another search, that they're serving their users there. So they say, so I think, you know, I'm, I'm speculating here because I, I hear them say that, but they might be thinking, well, here's some egghead telling you that these people don't like this, when in fact people like this. Well, they don't have a choice. Hmm? I mean, they don't, don't have the toggle choice. I mean, that, that would be... That, they that search really more. The they, search, they say they search more when the searches are personalized, right? So whether so they have, if you even talk to them, they might say, yeah, I'd like the same search results as everyone else. But actually, Google will say, no, 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 they search more with these. So in reality, they really like this more. And, you know, really, I think in some extent, the filter bubble thing is a little overblown. When you go to a newsstand, you don't expect the newsstand person to say to you, no, 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 don't look at the liberal stuff. Take a look at a conservative thing for once in a while, buddy. You know, so, you know, I, so I think that in, in, in a sense, if we like seeing stuff, which is, you know, the, the stuff that agrees with us, you know, Google kind of go, go, goes along with that. Maybe it shouldn't be a nanny to portion that stuff out. 
We're going to have one more. Yes, go ahead. I want to follow up the question about the relationship between Google and the publisher. Google and? And the publishers. You spoke about uh, Google democracy, and it's a huge issue. Because when there is still high-quality content to crawl, then you can say give, uh, that Google gives access to democracy. But the question is also, what will be the content in 5, 10, or 20 years? And I think if there is no high-quality content to crawl, to crawl, then the democracy is in, is in danger. And that's why there is huge tension between the publisher and Google, especially in Brazil, France, or Germany, where they want to create a sort of extension of the copyright and to share the money with Google because Google is making what money with our the content of the publisher, and Google consider bringing, as you say, bringing audience is enough and streets to stop linking newspaper. But isn't it also a Google responsibility to be part of the culture cultural world we are creating? Mm. Yeah, it it, it 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 it's a great question. I mean, so. Take Google out of it for a second and just think about whether there should be one searchable corpus for all stuff, right? You know, it, it doesn't necessarily deliver, you know, if, if, if a publisher doesn't want it, the complete contents of something. But, you know, um, so if a publisher decides to just put that little piece of code which says, don't crawl me, right? You know, what, 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 what are, what are you doing? Are you opting out of, you know, this, you know, concept of the Library of Alexandria, Digital Library of Alexandria, right? And, and isolating your, yourself there. I think to a, a certain extent, you know, and I think, you know, look, Google is a company that's it's interested in, in making money. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a public company. Um, it has, you know, shareholders. It wants to maximize value for those shareholders. But I actually, it, it does resonate with me, the idea of having all the world's knowledge in, in a searchable form in, in a way that doesn't steal from them. But you can find it, right? So I, I actually am, am, am mixed about it. Look, I'm in, I, I, I write for a print publication, right? Um, you know, we have a web operation. And... Um, I've in, in, been in the journalism field for a number of years. I have a lot of friends who, who don't have a job, right? But this, you know, this digital technology, this larger revolution, is 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 unstoppable. That's 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 our our reality, right? And you know, it's it's going to get crazier. Um, so I think that you can't lay down on, on, on the railroad tracks. And you know, and and say we're we're opting out of the revolution that, like it or not, is 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 changing everything there. So you know, it it it's it's tough, and and the the entire picture. I'm broadening this beyond your question, obviously, is is really bittersweet. But what I deal with every day, you know, in, in thinking about the topics I write about in my career, are you know. I, I'm in the front row for this massive change in, in civilization, and a lot of things we hold dear, from the smell of a book to, you know, a job, you know, <laughs> is, is going away. But these are things that people are flocking to and, and you know, are loving, and, and I don't think there's a person in this phone, in this room, without a cell phone, right? 
you know, a, you know, probably a smartphone. There, that guy. All right, yeah, the guy who clicked on the ads. <laughs> Listen, Steve, thank you so much. Thank great you. To have you. Great question.